Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of May 14th through the 16th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. I'm still personally dealing with the hell that is uh, seasonal allergies, though the past couple of days I will say have been slightly better than the month prior, so here's to hoping that by the time June comes around I can get out there again, maybe by Memorial Day weekend I can you know, go see a movie actually uh, without fearing stepping outside my house. Uh, there's a ton of news in the box office and movie world to go over, so let's hop right in, shall we? We'll get to the charts toward the end of the show. The big bombshell uh, that dropped this Monday morning uh, with rumors over the weekend um, is that it looks like AT&T has decided to spin off WarnerMedia to merge with Discovery. Now, there are a lot of moving parts here, but the relevant background information is that back in 2016-ish or so, uh, AT&T acquired Time Warner, which is the parent company of Warner Media, which is the parent company of the Warner Brothers studio, um, in an effort to increase their media holdings. Uh, AT&T's rival company, you know, their telecom company, the rival company Comcast, had recently bought NBC Universal. so this at the time was seen as a way to try to keep up and to leverage the media properties alongside the telecommunications infrastructure of television and internet. Uh, the deal went through for about $85 billion uh, or $108 billion when you include them assuming debt. Um, after about three years or so of legal hearings against the Trump Justice Department trying to block it, uh, the merger in anti- for antitrust reasons. Uh, now, tar- and by the end of the, the result, uh, Time Warner changes name as we know today to Warner Media. Uh, now, notably earlier in 2016, uh, Time Warner had actually sold off the cable ports of their company to Charter Communications, aka Spectrum, uh, and AOL had also been sold off to Verizon in 2015. So at the time, AT&T was really only just getting the media business from Warner, um, not any of the uh, of the uh, you know commercial infrastructure, uh, the, the um, telecommunication infrastructure, uh, which may have presented more difficulties when it came to uh, the acquisition. So. You know, it's been what three years or so uh, since AT&T uh, acquired Warner Media. So why spin it off after only three years? Now, presumably things have been going well. You know, HBO Max in the past couple of months have been, you know, get, doing a little bit better. And you know, Godzilla vs Kong is the film that you know saved the box office industry. And you know, there are more hits coming up on the horizon. You know, not to mention there's a ton of other non-movie media properties from Warner Media that have lined up that presumably are you know look like they have some promise to them. Well, in order to fully understand, you need to take a look at the larger picture uh, for AT&T specifically. First, in addition to acquiring Warner Media back in 2018, uh, in 2014, uh, AT&T had purchased DirecTV uh, for about $45 billion or $67 billion, including acquiring their debt. Um, so including interest, by 2020, AT&T had about $200 billion of debt on its balance sheet, which even for a company of their size is definitely not great, uh, especially, you know, even when you don't look at how people are cutting cable lately and which isn't a great deal for DirecTV. Uh, so secondly, you probably have heard something about something about 5G, you know, being the next big thing in, in telecommunications. And th- that's AT&T's, AT&T's bread and butter. They've been spending a lot of money recently in, you know, the government auctions for the Spectrum broadband for 5G. Um, and they need a lot more money to be able to do that and they need to reduce their debt. Um, so that's why they're spinning off all of these acquisitions. For example, recently, you know, they spun off uh, Crunchyroll and they've sold it to Sony pending, again, uh, you know, Justice Department regulation. Um 
And earlier this year, AT&T also spun off DirecTV into its own entity uh, to a partly, uh, partially privately owned by a private equity firm, TPG, um, essentially pricing DirecTV at about $16 billion as opposed to the $45 billion that they previously paid, again, just to get the debt off their books as well as to get some cash in hand functionally. Now I couldn't find a number for what this current deal, you know, with uh, with a- with Warner Media being spun off to Discovery, uh, prices uh, Warner Media at um, for the M and A nerds out there. This is in- done via a reverse Morris Trust, which is supposed to be really complicated and you know helps with minimize tax implications. Uh, but AT and T is going to get close to uh, forty three billion dollars in cash, and AT and T shareholders, not AT and T itself, are going to own about seventy one percent ownership of whatever the new company is. Uh, which, of course, brings us to the other part of the equation, that other 29%. So Warner Media is being spun off into, into its own entity separate from, but again, partially owned by the AT&T shareholders. But the 29% is merging with Discovery, uh, who's going to own that other 29%. Uh, Discovery is currently valued at $16.8 billion U.S. dollars. Now, in addition to the titular Discovery Channel and Animal Planet and Science Channel, it actually also acquired Scripps Network back in 2018, adding Food Network, Travel Channel, and HDTV to its portfolio. And even earlier this year, Discovery had launched a streaming platform, uh, Discovery Plus, which actually, for its price point, is pretty much a, was a fair bit of a moderate success, um, you know, given that it's, it's low $5 price point. Again, pending regulatory approval, Warner Media will be merged with Discovery into a yet-to-be-named entity. Uh, Discovery CEO David David Zaslav will head up the new entity. We'll get to Jason Keeler in a bit. Um, we don't know what this means for Discovery Plus or HBO Max, and if they'll continue combine or not. Maybe they do something like uh, HBO Max or. Uh, Hulu with Disney Plus, which Disney owns both, but they're packaging the two together. Um, any case, we also don't know fully what sort of internal restructuring at the studio level will happen. There's definitely going to be some stuff at the higher executive level within Warner Media. Maybe not so much at Warner Brothers, but we'll see. Um, we also don't know if it's going to affect any projects currently in the pipeline or potentially in production uh, at the Warner Brothers studio. Now, if you allow me a little bit of editorializing here, I personally actually really like this move. It's been kind of clear for the past couple of years that AT&T, which is, again, a phone company first and foremost, doesn't really know what they were doing. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing when they got into acquiring Warner Media and everything that goes into having a major studio and kind of bots a lot about it, especially in relation to the HBO Max rollout. And so in the past couple of months, it looks like HBO Max finally got up on track and running, but that was only after a lot of pain and gnashing of teeth and blindsiding of talent last December. Uh, meanwhile, Discovery, being a content-first company, first and foremost, which, you know, despite, you know, not being the biggest name out there, is, you know, still hanging in there and and and, and making some fairly popular shows. I think, you know, uh, at the very least, there'll be a bit of a clearer direction moving forward with how to make good content, which I was pretty happy to hear that Zaslav said that the relationship with talent would be the number one priority uh, for the new company and that they plan to spend $20 billion a year on new content. Uh, I think similar to what HBO Max was planning on doing, maybe a little bit more. Now, we'll see if that actually comes to pass you know, down the line, but at least there's a chance that he knows what he's talking about, unlike current Warner CEO Jason Keillor, who definitely was tech bro first uh, and not a media guy. Which, you know, as promised, here's a little bit of sudden for it here. Uh, when you know, it came out, there were reports that uh, Keillor was unaware that these negotiations were going on until the very last minute, which... Given how the tables turn, like it's just like how the tables turn, you know, after the decision he and his team made last December to blindside the creators in Hollywood about the moving to move everything to uh, HBO Max directly, um, you know, maybe it's not great to like you know 
kind of cheered. Not maybe that's not the right word, but to feel sudden for it at you know someone potentially losing their job. But I think he'll be fine with his fifty-two million dollars salary from this last year, and I'm sure a negotiating an exit an exit severance package, which is probably going to be more than I make in my lifetime. Uh, though I do kind of find it funny he ended up getting a pretty nice profile in the Wall Street Journal on Friday uh, before this all happened. Anyway, here's the hoping that Chris Nolan maybe comes back to Warner and that Dune gets their uh, theatrical-only release. Though, official word is that it's still going to be day and date also on HBO Max, but uh, who they always say that's the case until it isn't. So, Anyway, apparently Zaslav is also a bit of a stickler when it comes to budget, so uh, we granted, we may not see the high, extremely high-budget films if it doesn't deliver down the line. Cuff Cuff Snyderverse is definitely double dead at this point, uh, but I also really like how Discovery's strength uh, is an unscripted content, uh, and that complements Warner Brothers' relative strength in scripted productions. Uh, and, you know, one final note on all this, you know, and another jab at AT&T is that, you know, it's one thing to be a company like Amazon or Apple where, you know, you're looking to get into the movie space um, after your core business is, you know, uh, doing well, thing, all things considered. Um, it's a completely other thing to try to get into another space uh, when you're a telephone company uh, with pretty pretty panned service reviews, um, you know, and people complaining about drop telephone lines and all that. So uh, it, it's a, it, sort that up for, sort up your core competency first before moving into the movie industry. Uh, anyway, that all done. Let's move on. Speaking of Amazon, uh, there was a subject of our next uh, mergers and acquisition major news this week. Uh, crazy that we have two in one week. Uh, it's just more rumor than anything concrete, but the rumor is that there's been several weeks in the negotiation that MGM, uh, the rights owners to James Bond, among many other properties, um, and they're the ones looking to get bought out as as lot far ago as last December. Uh, it looks like they were in talks with Amazon to be acquired for about $9 billion US. Uh, that's reportedly what, HB, what MGM was looking for maybe a little bit more. They were looking maybe like seven to nine billion dollars, um, whereas a lot of other you know uh, buyers on the market were saying they would probably maybe do five billion. So um, you know the fact that you know Jeff Bezos' money is going around to try to you know buy out MGM is uh, definitely definitely goes a long way. So that would definitely be a huge boon for Prime's library uh, to get MGM's back catalog. So we'll see how the story unfolds. Uh, hopefully, though, this doesn't mean that uh, you know James Bond premieres uh, day and date on streaming uh, as well as in theatrical. Uh, moving on to other corporate news, uh, Regal has made a lot of deals recently with regard to theatrical windows. Uh, first, with Universal. Uh, last year, if you remember, Universal made a deal with AMC and Cinemark, negotiating a 17-day theatrical window for smaller films and 31 days for bigger movies in exchange for a share of streaming revenue. Uh, Regal Cinemas was closed at the time, uh, but it looks like uh, they they were able Universal was able to complete the trifecta and they got Regal on board as well, at least here in the states, uh, with that 17-day window. Uh, over in the UK, it's looking where Regal is known as Cineworld. The deal is more closely mirrors the existing deal that uh, Cineworld has with uh, Warner Brothers of a 31-day window for smaller films and a 45-day window for larger films. And then to follow that up, our earlier this week, Real also signed a deal with Disney, uh, first to allow for Disney Plus day and date releases for the rest of this year to, to sew in theaters, which is why, you know, why The Last Dragon is coming out um, in there right now as well. Uh, but also uh, in the US and UK, I, I believe at, um, they also uh, came with the, with the agreement to have a 45-day theatrical window across the board. Um, again, both in the US and the UK, I believe at this point, I haven't heard any news of deals uh, for, with from Regal with Paramount or Sony, um, the reportedly number three exhibitor Cinemark has deals with all five studios in place. 
Now, speaking of Disney, they also announced last week that their upcoming summer release uh, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt, Jungle Cruise, will be coming day and date to Disney Plus in addition, in addition to their theatrical release, again following the premiere Axis model. I don't believe the date has changed from July 30th. Um, I suspect the reason they decided to move another film to premiere Axis was due to the continued delayed release uh, uh, and recovery of Europe, Brazil, and certain parts of Canada. Uh, this definitely reeks of Disney being a bit more on the conservative side as opposed to the other studios out there. Um, and as noted, you know, there are some films that are theatrical only this summer still. Uh, Sang-Chi and Free Guy, um, albeit with that 45-day theatrical window. Um, the interesting part there is that, notably, Free Guy um, is moving to Disney+, Plus, which is a big move since that was actually a 20th century film uh, that doesn't fall under Disney property. It normally would have gone under the, going over the HBO Max. Looks like that deal got bought out um, and, and, as opposed to New Mutants. Um, the other interesting part is that you, we don't know whether the film's going to Disney Plus and streaming 45 days after release means that it's going to be free, for, free on streaming in 45 days or if they're going to try doing the reverse Premiere Access and have it come out on Premiere Access uh, 45 days after release before going free to streaming. And then also one quick Disney Plus news tidbit that act, um, you know the service actually recently just hit 103.6 million users worldwide, though that was actually was a bit of a miss from Wall Street who were expecting 110 million. Okay, I think that covers most of the big headlines uh, this week. Um, let's take a break and look over at the domestic and international charts before wrapping it up with some smaller stories. Uh, This past weekend, the big opener was Spiral from Lionsgate, the latest entry into the Saw franchise. Uh, The film opened to $8.7 million uh, in 22,811 theaters for a per theater average of $3,113. This is a bit down from estimates as some were hoping for a $10 to $15 million opening. Uh, It did get a B- on cinema score and only 40% on tomatoes. And for comparison, the New Mutants, which opened with half the theaters uh, open across the country, that uh, Spiral did uh, in last August in the middle of a pandemic uh, had about a $7 million opening, again, compared to $8.7 million from Spiral, so not a great start. Um, that said, this is the sixth soft film to open at number one. Um, so far, it's made another $3.3 million abroad for a lifetime total of $12 million. In second place, we have last week's number one film, Wrath of Man, from United Artists Releasing. It made $3.7 million in 3,007 theaters for a per theater average of $1,231. This is a 55% drop week over week with a two-week uh, two total of $14.6 million domestically. Abroad, it made another $33 million, so that brings its lifetime total up to about $48 million or so. In third place, we have the, a new film, Neo-Western uh, um, you know, Those Who Wish Me Dead, starring Angelina Jolie. This was a simultaneous release on HBO Max as well as in theaters, uh, though a bit more heavily marketed, I think, for HBO Max than theaters. Uh, this one opened to $2.8 million in 3,188 theaters, uh, the widest release of the weekend for a per theater average of $888. Add another $4.4 million abroad, and the worldwide total for this film comes to $7.2 million. In fourth place, Demon Slayer continues its U.S. run with $1.8 million in 1,930 theaters, a 39% drop for a per theater average of $959 in its fourth weekend. Uh, Domestic total now sits at $42 million. 
And then rounding out the top five is Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon in week 11, dropping only 11% to a $1.7 million total in 2,285 theaters per theater average of $745. Domestically, it's made $46.1 million so far, with another $60 million or so abroad, putting its lifetime total at $106 million worldwide. Now, outside the top five, there were a couple of other new releases, but one that stands out I want to highlight is Netflix's Army of the Dead from Zack Snyder. That's right, a Netflix original film had a theatrical-only release, albeit for a one-week window before coming to the platform later this Friday. Now, Netflix isn't officially releasing its numbers out there, but unofficial estimates, as was reported by Deadline, suggest a $780,000 total out of 430 theaters for a per-theater average of about $1.8,000, though... uh, a little bit below the estimated uh, $1.5 to $2 million based on pre-sales. Um, now, that said, this is the largest theatrical, uh, hist- uh, theatrical weekend of Netflix film yet, with the their Oscar uh, favorite Roma a few years back getting a, a five-day opening total over Thanksgiving of $200,000. Uh, overall, domestic box office sits at just above $27 million, a modest increase from last week, though below expectations. Uh, next week, there aren't any notable releases domestically, but we do have Memorial Day we can look forward to with both Cruella and A Quiet Place 2 in that place starting the 28th. Uh, Cruella's social media embargo recently lifted, and things seem promising for the live-action remake, though they usually are uh, based off of social media initial reviews, while A Quiet Place 2 has a little bit more concrete information with a 91% positive rating among all critics on Rotten Tomatoes, which bodes well. Uh, moving abroad, we have some good news from the UK. Yesterday, the 17th, was the first day of movie theaters being open again. Uh, all the major chains were opening. Uh, according to Comscore, the top five films in the UK were Peter Rabbit 2, Nomadland, Godzilla vs. Kong, Spiral, and The Unholy. No numbers attached to, to those just yet, but we'll see how next weekend looks. Um, anecdotally, from the box office subreddit, uh, there were suggested reports that you know showings are mostly packed or even sold out um, across uh, despite the various restrictions, which bodes well for theaters. Um, one report suggests that 38% of audience, uh, movie-going audiences, plan on being back in movies within the first month back, which is positive, and another 34% say they'll be back within the next few months. Uh, France also should be opening up the day this episode comes out on Wednesday uh, with a 35% capacity limit. Um, there should be about 30 releases or so, mostly reprints um, this week with 14 the next week, um, but the big one I think for me to keep an eye out on it will be the Demon Slayer movie again, um, as France, aside from the US, is one of the largest markets of anime out there. Uh, 73% of French people plan on going back to movies as often as they did pre-COVID, so that again bodes well for France. On the flip side, though, over in Asia, Taiwan has gone into a lockdown over outbreak over there, and in Singapore, further restrictions are limiting movie capacities further. Moving over to China, we have some familiar faces and some new ones in the top five. Uh, in first place, we have Cliff Walkers continuing in its third weekend with a $16.7 million total for a lifetime total of $148 million USD. Uh, in second place, Breakthrough the Darkness repeats with $10.3 million this weekend for a lifetime total of $53 million. Uh, in third place, we have the aforementioned Wrath of Man starring Jason Statham making $8.6 million this weekend for a seven-day total of $18.5 million. Uh, uh, over half of the uh, of the uh, 
uh, international total for the film. Uh, in fourth place, we have a new rom-com, 77 Heartwarmings, opening to $3.8 million US dollars. And then in fifth place, we have the long-awaited re-release of the final part of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Return of the King, uh, opening to $3.4 million US dollars. This is a tad lower, but still in line with the other two entries of the franchise in the recent re-releases, both of which opened to about $4 million US dollars total, or each. Now, while this coming weekend may be pretty slow here stateside, all eyes will be on China this weekend as F9, the latest entry in the Fast and Furious franchise, opens there uh, as well as in other markets. Uh, seven days from its release, it sold about $4 million in uh, pre-sales for opening day, about $12 million to- all told, which is about half of what Fa- uh, Fate of the Furious at the same time had, though online discussion suggests that Hobbs and Saw, the last, I guess, spin-off of the Fast and Furious franchise, were a bit backlogged and had a lot more walk-up uh, uh, attendance for the film so that might bode well um now taiwan and singapore again have had their releases canceled due to the covid outbreaks there but korea which has pre-sales of about one million dollars the highest aside from peninsula of the post-covid era um china the middle east hong kong and russia will be the markets to watch uh, estimates suggest 160 million dollars all told worldwide the opening weekend with about 140 million of that coming from china uh, current reviews on Rotten Tomatoes have at about a 60%, which is a tad lower than the recent entries have been. I think 67 is where they settled on. Um, but I don't think anyone's going to go these to see high art. Um, in any case, it will definitely be the story to watch for next week, um, which I think also next week, since it looks like it's going to be a slow weekend and barring any other crazy announcements, um, you know, we'll do a summer, uh, summer box office preview as well. In any case, let's wrap up this show with some smaller headlines. Uh, Apple acquired the Joel Cohen-directed and Francis McDormand Denzel Washington-led uh, film from A24, The Tragedy of Macbeth, which looks like it's going to be one of their major awards contenders um, uh, based on the pedigree alone. Uh, speaking of ghosts of of time gone past, uh, Quibi wears its head once again. Uh, remember how the streaming service that couldn't uh, add, uh, sold its originals to Roku after it went belly up? Uh, well, later this week, May 20th, Roku will debut the first batch of Roku originals for which they paid less than $100 million total, including shows from Kevin Hart, uh, Anna Kendrick, Chrissy Teigen, Chance the Rapper, Joe Jonas, and many more. Uh, we also have news on plans for a number of upcoming uh, film festivals and their plans to return to normal. Um, I believe Cannes is still set to come out in person, uh, and NYC confirmed that Tribeca Film Festival will be in person as well. Uh, Venice Film Festival is planning on being fully in person, uh, running from September 1st to the 11th, with rumors being that Dune will premiere over there. Uh, meanwhile, however, Toronto International Film Festival, uh, September 9th to 18th, and Sundance 2022 uh, in, early, in January 2022, Uh, will be a mix of digital and in-person for the time being. And then finally, on a bit of a down note, frankly, um, there's a recent study out from USC that has found that out of the 1,300 top grossing films from 2007 to uh, 2019, um, only 44 had an Asian or Pacific Islander lead or co-lead, with 14 of those leads being Dwayne The Rock Johnson, compared to only 6 of the 44 being a woman or or girl lead. Uh, 39% of the films had no API characters at all on screen, while overall, 5 
5.9% of speaking roles went to APIs, a bit less than 7.1% of the U.S. population that identify as such. Um, they found that there were 22 individual lead actors compared to 336 individual white male actors for a ratio of about 15 to 1. Uh, behind the camera, things weren't much better with only 3.5% uh, API representation, taking a major directing and producing roles with only 25 individuals out of the top 1,300 films being directors. Uh, combined with another study recently where 42% of Americans couldn't name a famous Asian American, uh, at, yes, none was like the actual top answer with number two response being Hong Kong's Jackie Chan and at 11% and Bruce Lee at 9%. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to Asian American representation on screen. Uh, and with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Suit my ideas for what I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find our show via Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review, or at the very least, tell a friend any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, uh, which lets me know make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmission.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. <laughs>